Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal, develop high-quality, technically sound products, and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Welcome to the Habitat Podcast, the podcast for wildlife habitat management, hunting strategy, and land stewardship. And now, your host, Jared Van Hees. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Habitat Podcast, where we are here to become better habitat managers. Thank you guys for tuning in. Once again, we love you, the listeners. Couldn't do it without you guys. Thank you so much. We have another great episode for you here tonight. We have Danny Warner out of Ohio. So Danny is a big buck killer, good deer hunter. Um, he actually was raised among some deer. I guess it sounds kind of funny when you say that. His parents had a small deer farm. Um, he manages a farm in southern Ohio, and we just pick his brain tonight on how he's setting up his food plots, always using the topography and habitat when he hunts, and, uh, you know, just why he's so successful. So it's a pretty fun conversation. Glad we had Danny on. Um, we'll get right into that next. I want to let you guys know that we're out there planting. Um, all my stuff's planted uh, except for my cereal grains, so all my no-till, brassicas, everything's planted. I'm just waiting on rain these days. Brian's been doing a bunch of work down at his lease at the 311. Um, my eight acre woods video, uh, the, that project, they're logging my eight acre woods right now, right before season. We'll see how that plays out. We're doing a bunch of these videos and updates and they're going to go on Facebook and YouTube. So if you guys follow us on social media, be sure to check out Habitat Podcast on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and that's where you can see kind of what we're doing day to day. A good way to, to follow along. Um, you know, HabitatPodcast.com, all of the podcast episodes first off, our shirts and hats, the land plan services, our Habitat Journal, tons of good stuff over at HabitatPodcast.com as well. So thank you for those who have checked it out and, and helped support us over there on the website. Packer Max, guys, he's, uh, Lincoln just gave away a Cultipacker, the HG series, a bunch of food plot seeds, some mineral to uh, a veteran here in Michigan. Um, that was pretty awesome. Check that out at Packer Max on Facebook. There's a live video where Lincoln uh, gave the stuff away to this gentleman, this, you know, a guy who was just, you know, serving his country for a super long time. Um, I heard that was 20-something years. 
Uh, so, Lincoln, way to go, man. Way to be a great guy and just, you know, help support our our uh, troops and, and our veterans. That's amazing. Thanks for, you know, doing that. So, guys, Lincoln's an awesome dude. Check out his website, packermax.com. Great call to Packers. I've used mine for four years now, and it's my most important piece of food plot equipment. So check them out, guys. Um, there's a pat, there's a Habitat podcast discount, so make sure to get a hold of Lincoln. You'll get uh, 25 bucks off any packer of your choice. Just mention the Habitat podcast. And I did mention food plots. Killer Food Plots is running uh, a discount for us as well. It's uh, HP 10%, HP 10% sign over at KillerFoodPlots.com. You'll get free shipping as well. I've been playing their seed since before the podcast, so since I first started food plotting, and I'm still I'm still using them. They're high quality, great germination rate. Nick is a wealth of knowledge. Listen to all the podcasts we did with him. There's four or five of them, I think, and just a great product by a great person. Um, again, 10% free shipping. Just get, check out check out his website. Check out him for food plots. He's trying on the plot this year if you want. Um, and if you do, tell him Habitat Podcast sent you. He's a you know, great guy. He deserves a little bit of love from us. So thanks, Nick, for supporting the podcast. I want to thank Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, the HuntWise app, Habitat Hook, Stony Creek Realty, and Sound Barrier Hunting. We're going to hear more from those guys in the upcoming shows. But for now, thank everybody again for coming on. Let's get into Danny Warner in Ohio, managing habitat and property for big whitetail bucks. And we're back, guys, another episode of the Habitat Podcast. We have the trusty but not rusty co-host, Brian Hallblight, on the line. What's going on, Brian? Pretty good weekend, buddy. Knocked it out down at the lease and just getting fired up for the season here as we approach a little bit faster, it seems like, every day. Yeah, you guys got a bunch of work down there. I saw a nice stinking job there. And then we have our... Uh, Special guest tonight, we have Danny Warner from Ohio. What's going on, Danny? I'm doing pretty good, guys. How you doing? Doing well. Thanks. Doing good. Good. Yeah, I got a fresh latte here, so, you know, good to go. Yeah. Same here. Rock and roll. Now, uh, Danny, you're you're a friend of uh, Al's, who's a friend of Brian and, and mine, and... Uh, I think we've been friends on Facebook for a while. I haven't got to meet you in person yet, but thought you might be the guy to have on tonight. What do you think about that? Hey, sounds good. I mean, you guys are the experts, but uh, I hope your <laughs> listeners can find something out of what I have to say, but maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. No, I appreciate you coming on. And, uh, Brian, so I want to hear a little bit about your um, weekend habitat work before we get into Danny real quick. Well, you name it, we pretty much did it from uh, tilling in fertilizer and lime, planting to hanging new box blinds and uh, tree stands, trimming lanes, and we, we did the whole gamut. It's it's nice having all those hands there. And like you know, we have some friends on the adjacent leases, so we all kind of pitch in and a group of us will go over on their side and help them knock stuff out, and it was it was just nice to have all hands on deck and amazing the stuff you can get done when you're especially when you're used to working alone 
Yeah, which you and I both are, are definitely used to that. And um, you had a pretty good walkthrough at your, your property the other day. Is that what I heard? Yeah. Yeah, it sounded like uh, the agent had a real good experience with a buyer that seems really interested. I'm getting a little bit nervous because it's Tuesday now, and that was on Sunday. But uh, he seems to be expecting an offer. So, you know, just cautiously optimistic and keeping my fingers crossed. Not the end of the world, but it would be nice to get it wrapped up before hunting season starts. Yeah, so what you're saying is if anybody wanted to buy your farm, they should probably do it this week. <laughs> Absolutely, and it's it's literally, I mean, as turnkey as you can get. There's food plots, you know, the cabin's ready to go, uh, plenty of places to store your equipment in the pole barn and the garage and everything else. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not going to be around long. It's just finding the right person. Very nice, man. Well, I wish you luck with that. I think uh, whoever gets that will be a, a happy camper for sure. Appreciate it. All right, Danny Warner, we're back to you. You are from Ohio. We normally start these mm-hmm. out with, uh, let's, see, let's hear about you. Paint us a picture of who Danny is. Tell us about maybe your growing up, getting into deer hunting and habitat work, and uh, we'll go from there if you don't mind. Okay. Yeah, uh, Danny Warner. Uh, I live in Maslin, Ohio, which is Stark County. Um for work, I am a uh, I work in radiation oncology for the Cleveland Clinic. Uh, basically, I give uh, cancer patients their radiation treatments. Um, so I work in the medical field. Um, so I'm in scrubs most of the time, but then when I'm not, you know, I'm in hunting gear. Um, but as far as starting out uh, hunting uh, and land management, pretty much started when I was like five years old. Uh, I can barely remember this, but my dad tells me a story. Uh, we carried about 100 pine trees up this one uh, down in southeastern Ohio on this property that we manage. Um, it's extremely hilly, as you've probably heard from some of your past uh, guests, right on the border of West Virginia. Uh, we carried these pine trees up to this, uh, it was just a, like a little two-acre field, and we wanted to plant these pine trees in this field Back then, you know, this is probably in 92, didn't know much about food plots, um, but back then we were mostly gun hunters, uh, shotgun, muzzleloader season, and thermal cover uh, was, was a big thing back then. Mostly, most of the deer that we would see, they'd be in the pines, um, which we do have some other pine thickets on this property. Uh, so we decided to plant these pines um, up there, and they're still there today, the deer destroy you know we didn't we didn't really know what we were doing um but uh it, it's actually a pretty good spot for us now um but that's just kind of where i started out like five years old already doing that kind of stuff um i i guess i should uh say a little bit about this property and the situation that i'm in um there's we manage 500 acres uh it's in monroe county uh, it's surrounded by public land, uh, which makes it difficult to manage uh, sometimes. But uh, it's just a basically a friend of the family's. Extremely blessed to have this unique situation. Uh, never, he's never been married, never had kids, uh, but he's been uh, gracious enough to let us hunt our entire life. Um, but he's he knows. At least we think we know what we're doing. But he he likes to, you know, bounce ideas off of us, and you know 
you know, we, we talk a lot about what we should do with the property to increase, you know, deer numbers and improve the habitat. Um, so we've been doing things, you know, for over 30 years on this property. Um, but, uh, that, that's the property that I'm on, uh, currently. Uh, I also have another property that the, uh, the landowner, uh, he, he bought another 96 acres that's in Noble County. So it's about an hour drive in between the two. And I'm, I'm actually the only one that hunts that property. My family's the only one that hunts that property. So I pretty much have that to myself. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that's basically growing up, uh, you know, I had this, this big 500 acre property, uh, that, that we were able to do pretty much whatever we wanted. Um, but as far as hunting goes, I started actually hunting. My dad started taking me out when I was like eight years old. Um, I think I shot my first deer when I was maybe 12, 13. I remember like my first deer hunt ever. It was, it was shotgun season. Like I said, we mostly did uh, gun hunting back then. Um, back then the idea was, it was almost like your rabbit hunting where it's brown us down. You know, we're hunting for meat. We're not really going for mature bucks at this point. Um, I remember my first deer hunt ever. Uh, you know, I'm sitting there with a 20 gauge shotgun and I had like two 140 class bucks come walking right by me and my dad was sitting with me and I totally froze up, totally froze up, total buck fever. Dad's yelling me to shoot. I couldn't shoot. Um, and that, and I, I let him go. I, I didn't, I didn't know what to do. Um, I just, I locked up, but I was hooked ever since then. Um, but, uh, and then after that, I guess I was shot my first year, 12, 13, and um, shot probably my first buck that the year after. Uh, basically, sitting out with a crossbow, um, and then you know it's been it's been uh, balls to the wall ever since. Uh, yeah, I I would always try to hitch rides with relatives anytime they'd go. Uh, all I wanted to do was was deer hunt. Um, even, you know, I, I played football and sports and I told my parents, I'm like, you know, I love football, but I'd rather go hunting. And they're like, you got the rest of your life to hunt. I'm like, yeah, but you know, I, I want to go. Um, but I've always been obsessed with deer and deer hunting. Uh, I would always ask my parents, I'm like, Hey, let's, uh, let's go drive around and look for deer. I mean, every night I would ask this, um, infatuated with them. Uh, from a young age, and uh, eventually, I, I swear my parents did this just to shut me up. But we decided, you know, we want to we want to try to raise some deer. Um, so we kind of created just a mini deer farm. Started out with just a buck, a, a bottle. I grew from there. We talked about uh, getting into breeding because uh, there wasn't really a a state-to-state -state law because of CWD. Um, there was, I mean, there's still a lot of big money involved, uh, but you could uh, deer a little easier back then. Um, but uh, so we got we got into that, and uh, you know, I mean, it's pretty much whole life has been revolved around deer and deer hunting and just outdoors in general. Um, but yeah, so that's pretty much it for how I started out. So. Well, that's awesome, man. So tell us a little bit more about that mini deer farm you said your your parents got you into and 
and maybe maybe the mistake that they didn't know they were making, uh, kind of pushing you probably into <laughs> obsession like uh, like I went at a young age as well. I can commiserate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I was already obsessed, but I think actually it might have helped subside that uh, obsession a little because you know no longer am I like oh guys let's just drive around and look for deer. You know I had it in my backyard um, that I could go play with or see. Um, but yeah, uh, it it was quite the experience over the years we did get to know other um deer breeders in the area which was cool um just just in general about deer that you normally wouldn't see um but in we did we did breed um we didn't we never did breed for money uh our pen wasn't big enough um but one thing in deer breeding and this may go against i don't want to say it goes against uh what habitat managers uh are looking for, but when it comes to deer breeding, genetics is it's the number one thing. Um, genetics trumps all, basically because you can control their diet, um, control their genetics. Which us as land managers, we can't we can't control the genetics in the wild. Um, but in in the breeding world, most breeders feed on the same. Yeah, so you know most. Habitat managers, we know that we can only control basically the nutrition. Um, we can't control the genetics, uh, and they think of that, you know, that's the most important, which it, which it is as far as, you know, a wild population. But in the uh, in the deer breeding world, the genetics are the most important. Uh, you, you have to be able to stack pedigrees to create, you know, this giant buck um, a lot of people think oh you know they say oh they're shooting up with steroids or something no it's just it's stacked pedigrees um you know if you want to try to grow a buck that is world record it'd be a world record in the, the wild um you know we're talking 400 500 inch deer um but also you want to try to grow like a world class typical um you know genetics uh plays a big part in that which is also why you know you look at it and you can have a property, and a property is the same way. You can have a property that's got a five, five, six-year-old buck, and the buck's only 125, and he's hanging around a five-year-old that's 190. And it's like, well, you know, what's the difference here? The only difference is genetics. It's not – they're both eating the same thing. They've grown up the same way. That 190 isn't eating a golden food plot somewhere. Um, so genetics plays a big part in, you know, how big these bucks are going to grow. Nutrition is just going to maximize, um, you know, going to get them to reach their true potential genetically. Um, but that's just something I've learned from grazing deer and getting to know breeders. Um, but, uh, yeah, as far as the the deer farm, um, just a lot of interesting things. Uh, I like to test a lot of things out on them. Uh, I, I like to test, you know, we talk about natural forage. I just love to test like different types of plants and see how, see how the deer react. Um, the deer react differently to you know certain plants. I like certain ones over others, and even certain deer like certain plants over others. You know the deer are individuals, uh, similar to humans. They like certain things that other another deer doesn't necessarily. Um, and I know I've talked. Like, I mean, there's so many specific uh, plants. I know you hear a lot about and. I know Al and Zach who are listening to this are gonna they're gonna laugh because we talk about ragweed and pokeweed a lot and just raising deer, um, 
ragweed, they'll eat it, but they don't prefer it. They prefer a lot of other things over that. And, and this is just my my deer. Um, granted, they're they're mostly fed grain uh, majority of their life, but because of that, they they typically eat a lot of different green um, you know plants because they don't get a lot of it. So they should really like it. Uh, ragweed's one that they'll eat it, but not necessarily prefer it. And uh, pokeweed, pokeweed's one that you hear a lot. You hear a lot about people, you know, saying, "Oh, you know, pokeweed's great." And deer, deer do eat it, you know, but I, I cannot get my deer to eat a mature pokeweed. Um, and I, I've tried. Uh, I don't know why, um, but it's just some, you know, things like that that I've learned. Um, you know, that they, they may prefer certain things, even if it is, you know, extremely nutritional, you know, it, extremely nutritious, uh, they may not necessarily like to eat it. Um, they can, they're, they're like humans and, you know, we know things that are good for us, but we'll eat whatever tastes good. Um, <laughs> and the deer, kind of the, same, the deer is the same way. I mean, heck, my deer, they love marshmallows, cookies. I mean, and that has no nutritional value whatsoever. But you throw marshmallows in there and you throw ragweed in there, dude, they're going marshmallow all the way. Um, you know, so they're going for what tastes good. Uh, so that's just something. And it's cool. You know, and they are they are pen-raised deer, so it is different than in the wild. Um, but uh, just something there that I've that I've learned. Uh, but so so many things just uh body you know just their their temperament uh i've gotten to the point now where it's like i look at a deer and i almost kind of i almost know what they're thinking uh just because i've seen you know every day growing up with deer it's like i you know i see the same just sometimes in the way they stand or the you know the way they're acting it's like i know exactly what they're thinking um so it's cool it's cool and i you know, blessed to be able to do that. And, uh, right now, uh, obviously I don't live with, with my parents anymore, but we, we have two left. One is a 15 year old doe. The other one's like 12. Um, and not to, not to keep rambling on too much, but, uh, just thinking about it. Another thing that I've learned is, you know, we talk about being able to age deer, uh, by their body habitus. And I'll tell you right now, it, once a deer, it seems like a deer from three to four, uh, you can, you can pretty much tell when a buck is mature, especially jumping from three to four usually. But after that, it's kind of good luck because I've seen bucks and not just my own, but in other deer breeders where deer is nine years old, but you bring any normal hunter and he's like, Oh, that deer is four. It's like, no, nope, he, you know, he's, he's old or I mean, I've seen, I've seen bucks that are taller than other bucks. I've seen other bucks that are longer. They're just built different, uh, you know, individually. They're not cookie cutter like what we talk about, uh, you know, how we try to age them based on body. Every deer is different. I've seen some really small body, giant old bucks, and but their body habitus is just small, just the way they're built. Um, so, you know, that that's just something. And that's just something to think about. With, with me, when it comes to, you know, hunting, uh, you know, we run a lot of cameras, and basically, if I'm going to try to age a deer on our property, I like to have some sort of history with them. Otherwise, it's just a guess. 
um, you know, I it's better off you get some history with them. But just yeah. because of that, but yeah, that's yeah. that's really yeah. interesting that you're able to pick up cues like that from from raising them. Yeah, now, I'm curious. Oh, yeah. Can you can you think of any hunts off the top of your head where you know something in that experience really helped you put a tag on a deer? Well, probably all of them. <laughs> I mean, wow. um, yeah, yeah. I would say getting maybe getting away with movement, um, getting away with movement. Myself, um, I can tell if the deer's not paying attention. Really, um, yeah, many different things. It, also, like sound, like a deer. I mean, a deer can hear, you know, pretty well. And I saw you guys had a podcast not long ago about this. Um, but, uh, but you can get away, sometimes you get away with more than what you think, um, Give sometimes. Give us an example if but, you can uh, think of one off the top of your head. Oh, just, I mean, I'll have deer 15 yards from me and my wife and I are talking. My wife's big into hunting and I'm just having a conversation with her about it. They'll be right underneath our tree trying to coach her up, you know, basically on, okay, turn now, turn now. And these deer, they're 15 yards from us, basically under a stand. Um, and they can't hear us. Um, it just, just knowing what you can get away with. Um, and that, that's happened many times, many times. Um, yeah, that's, that's one. Um, but yeah, as far as the cues go, there's, there's so many. And, and like I said, I, things that I don't even realize that I've learned from them that's helped me put a tag on mature okay. buck or a deer in general. Are there any other things that you could say right off the bat that maybe I wouldn't know or Brian wouldn't know because we have not had a or been part of a deer farm? Is there anything just straight off the top that most people miss? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, there's some weird facts. There's some weird things about them that most people probably wouldn't know. Um, one, it, I mean, it doesn't have to do with habitat or anything, but what I think is kind of cool is a buck when he sheds his velvet, he actually will eat the velvet. He'll he'll eat it. Um, I my theory is it's probably highly nutritious. Um, but I mean it's literally blood bloody velvet will be hanging off their antlers, and they will eat it right off their antlers. Uh, same thing with a the tree; they'll rub it on a tree. Velvet will come off. They will eat it from the tree. I actually me trying to come up with crazy ideas for products i'm like what if we got some you know they sell like that deer velvet spray out there i'm like i, I so bad wanted to just try and spray it on a tree and just see if it would maybe attract a, a deer um possibly by that way now they say this somebody's gonna become a billionaire somewhere uh <laughs> from doing that <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. but uh but yeah yeah like it's just a, a fun fact i would say you know just the deer, uh, deer will actually eat their velvet. It's like, man, you know, they're supposed to be vegetarian, but here's this bloody, bloody velvet, and they'll just eat it right up, eat it right up. So it's cool. Well, Danny, for um, a meager eight percent of your your new product company, I will edit this out of the podcast. <laughs> okay, nice, nice. <laughs> I'm better. Yeah. Oh, I see. Brian missed it, so make that make that four percent. We're good. Okay. <laughs> Jeez, oh man. Nice. No, we're having some some technical issues here tonight, guys. So appreciate everybody for for hanging with us. Uh, 
Danny, anything else that that somebody might you know be very surprised that a white-tailed deer doing, or just their biology that you might know about by raising them? Um, maybe it's maybe okay. Here, okay, let's switch it this way. What food plot or plant species that you've tested do you mm-hmm. see works extremely well for you where you're at in your mm-hmm. section of the world that you've implemented mm-hmm. then into your your properties you manage that we'll get to next? Is there any sort of okay. thing that you tested and you're like, dang, I need to be planting X, whatever that could be? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, they love clover. They They love clover. They love a majority of broadleaves. Um, obviously, love soybean. Uh, they love love apples. Uh, love almost all fruits. In fact, here's here's another product for you. They all my deer and most deer that I've known love bananas. Uh, you peel them, they'll eat the peel and all. Uh, they'll eat the entire banana, but they'll spit out the little tip of the the stem of the banana. They'll eat the whole peel, but they'll spit that out. And I was like, man, what if we, like, dried dried some banana slices and threw that in a mix or something? Love that. Um, but as far as, like, natural forage, I mean, I've tried it all. And I, I mean, they love jewelweed. Jewelweed they seem to love. Um, they they love a lot of it. I'm, I'm more focused on the ones that they tended to not pick. Um but all fruit, um, but yeah, I do. Uh, I do have a little, a little thing. Maybe something that people may may not know. And I, I don't even, I don't even know. I haven't even read many articles on this. But maybe all of us, or some people, you shoot a buck and you see that they have a hole in their antler. Okay. Um, I know some biologists may think that it's done by like a bot fly. Um, you know, while the deer's in velvet. Um, but actually, from what I've, my theory and from what I've seen, I believe it's basically just an artery that has not, cal- a vein or an artery that hasn't calcified. Um, I see it all the time. And actually, if you have any sheds at home, flip them over, look at the burr, and look on the outside, uh, you know, the little ring. I don't know what you would call that. But you will see, most likely, at some point, some tiny little holes in it. And that is from the vein of the artery that is pumping blood up into the antlers that did not calcify the whole way. So I don't know if you guys ever shot, you know, bucks with, like, a big giant hole in the side. Or it, doesn't have, it doesn't even have to be a giant hole, but any any hole. Um, and some people believe that's from a bot fly. And I, I plain as day, I our buck, bucks I've seen, they have them. And in velvet, it is just from that big main artery or vein pumping a lot of blood through that antler during the velvet, and it just doesn't calcify completely. So that's just another random fact that, uh, you know, for you that, like I said, I, some biologists may think it's something else, but I'm, just from what I've seen, um, you know, that's that's what causes that. But, yeah, just another little random fact for you. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I've seen that on a couple of deer that I've gotten and a few from mm-hmm. some friends and things. Danny, let's yeah. uh, pivot into the fall food plot since that's what everybody has on their minds right now. What are you planning right. on doing? Right. What has historically worked good for you? And tell us a little bit about your fall plot plans. Okay. Um, 
usually, you know, winter rye, big, uh, maybe some winter wheat. Uh, we do the brassicas, which usually get smoked by the deer. Um, but clover, I mean, we, we got a lot of clover. Uh, you know, can't go wrong with that, uh, you know, because it's easy to maintain. This year, um, we basically, I, I had a newer clover plot, um, and basically we just cut it low, and I spread the seed, you know, without tilling. I spread uh, winter wheat, winter rye, and some brassica in it, just right on top of it, and I... I didn't want to spray because it's been so dry down here that I didn't want to torch the field and not have anything um, available. I mean, I could always go, you could always go back over it later with uh, with winter ride. But um, so I'm just going to leave it. And, and I've never done this before with the help of Al and Zach. Um, you know, they've, they've had some experience with that and they said it, it does work. Um, so we'll see, but go figure as soon as I did that, it, we haven't, had rain since, which that's probably why it hasn't rained since because I planted it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, but yeah, all your typical fall plots, um, you know, that's, that's basically what we do. Now I will say on this 500 acres that we hunt, probably only 20 of it is tillable. It is big hardwoods. Um, we, we've tried corn and soybean in the past and, we did we did like a two acre uh, soybean plot a couple years ago, and I had a camera on it uh, running time lapse. And literally, I watched the same five does just smoke the two acre bean plot before season even started. Um, we, we we obviously didn't we didn't hot zone fence it or anything like that, which we should have. But uh, but yeah, so we were like, well, that was a nice try, but I think we're gonna stick to something cheaper and easier. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's basically this year we didn't do any, we really didn't do any plot screens this year, uh, which we have in the past as well, which works well, you know, just entering and exiting, uh, our stands. Uh, also we, we have a big problem with poaching, um, our property, one of the, one of the main roads runs right through the middle of it. And we try to, we try to plant, uh, next to the road sometimes because that's mostly where our tillable uh, pieces are. But sure. we've had so many times deer getting picked off uh, by people at night um, right out of the field. So it's like, man, we would love to just pile the food in there, but we're just they're just sitting ducks at night out there. And we've caught many people shooting them at night. Uh, and they, they come back in the morning and drag them out. Um, and we've caught them, game wardens have caught them. Really? Um, so, yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, yep. Um, tell but, us about one that you guys caught. Tell us a little story. Um, basically, wake up in the morning and, uh, there's a guy just dragging a doe across the field. And really? he sees us and takes off. Um, we had another, another guy, he, uh, was dragging a big buck. Uh, out to the field and we drove over and we were asking him like hey you know hey you don't have permission to be dragging this deer through here and he's like oh I shot it up now mind you I said we were surrounded by public land he said oh I shot up on public land which which was above us um he's like I didn't I didn't want to drag it you know up so I just drag it down and 
you know, it's like we we just went ahead and let him do it. Um, but there's a good chance that deer just got shot out of the field, spotlight yeah. and shot out of the field with a with a rifle. Um, I mean, he maybe maybe he did, but it it just happens so often that there's a good chance that that's what happened. Uh, I'll tell you a quick story, a quick funny little story. What we what we've done before is because we knew this one field was so notorious for getting poached uh, during gun season, we took an old wooden sawhorse, threw it out in the middle of the field. We had just got done skinning a doe, threw the cape over the sawhorse, and because we were because we were you know deer breeders, we we knew somebody had reindeer antlers, and he had this huge set that he just gave to us. And we strapped those babies to this sawhorse, and then at night you could hear the the, the brakes just as people were going down. I'm like, well, they they saw it. They're spotlighting. They saw it out there in the field. We we're waiting for a gunshot, but they never never did. But yeah, so just <laughs> something funny that that we did. <laughs> oh man, that's gotta be uh, annoying as heck. And you try to manage the property oh, yeah. and, and play by the law like we all do, and then all of a sudden that stuff happens. Um, mm-hmm. But you said something a few minutes back that caught my attention, and it's been catching my attention this whole summer. Um, clover seems to be king. I've heard people say that, and I love clover. Um, I mm-hmm. have some myself. Why do you feel like that's a, a real advantageous crop to plant for you? Well, for one, I'd say for one thing, it's it's easy. <laughs> that That's nice. Um and I'm a big turkey hunter, so I I love it in the spring. Um, but yeah, it's it's the deer are always coming to it. Um, pretty low maintenance for the most part, uh, you know. And I I just always have a a hard time when I have a nice clover plot that you know I, I know I know we you can get some great you know draw in the winter time with with brassicas and and uh, winter rye and winter wheat, but it just, it's so hard for me to just, you know, spray or, or, you know, torch the field, um, and go that amount of time without really anything there, uh, growing. Um, but, you know, also it, it's like, I, majority of the bucks I kill are going to be first week in November and the clover is still, is still being hit hard at that point in time. Um, I, I don't, I haven't shot many deer late season, um, so that's why I I, I use it a lot. Um, but yeah, that's just that's just my opinion on the clover. Now, are you guys uh, making destination size fields with that, or are you breaking it up into smaller like kill plots, or you know just just some openings uh, that you have yeah. available? Right, uh, mostly smaller kill plots. Um, yeah, we really don't have any great destination food food plots, um, which makes it hard hunting with deer down there because they're so spread out. It's like they're not all going to one area. You know, you're trying to kill a specific buck, and you, you don't really know where he's going to go for sure. So we probably could create more food if we really wanted to, but we're big on why create the food if you can't hunt it, if you can't hunt it properly. Um that's where I would say more of our, our deer hunter side of us comes in than more just land managers. You know, you want to be able to put as much food out there as possible, but we don't want to spread these deer out too much or not be able to harvest them. Um, so, yeah, usually usually small plot, 
Um, I mean, it, we have only one really good destination, maybe two good destination plots size-wise, um, and, and the one is the one that gets most poaching out of. And the other one, um, it seems to be just a, a doe haven. I mean, it, we, I don't remember last time we actually killed a mature buck out of it. Um, we mostly are killing the, the nice bucks in the, uh, in the micro plots. Yeah, that's a good point you brought up about uh, you know not overdoing it because less is more a lot of times, and I've I've experienced that on my 40 acres in Northeast Ohio. You know, some years I had some great bucks, and then I'd say, oh, I want to try this, and I'd change things up and say, well, that's not working. Now I'm attracting too many does. So that that's a great point right. that you brought up that our listeners should really take note of is you know try to keep that balance without getting too crazy right. one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and how big are these microplasts or killplasts that, that you're planting down there, Danny, if you had to measure them? You, usually an acre or less. Um, okay. We, we do have, yeah, yeah, about an acre or less. We have one, the one field with all the does in it, um, it's probably a, I want to say, in all, maybe a 10-acre field, but we only have maybe, and most of it's clover, um, but we may plant like just Nebraska and rye, just an acre right in front of where we're planning on, you know, shooting the deer, where our stand is or where our blind is. We use a lot of blinds on this specific property. Yeah, so I guess, so you're saying you're sweetening the area right in front of the, the blinder stand versus the rest of the poop plat. Is that what you're saying? Right. Yep, yeah, okay. yeah, exactly. Do you do that with any, do you add any additional fertilizer or any, you know, trace minerals or anything like that in front of your stand as well to really sweeten it up or a water hole, mock scrape? Um, um, you know, no, not really. I will say um, some some stands, typically I, typically I do not like to, to hunt over bait, but obviously in Ohio you can hunt, hunt over bait. Um you know, we may have some feeders somewhere. Um, I I have a love hate relationship with with baiting um, with corn because it does oh, work, yeah. uh, but works, but I, so it, unfortunately, unfortunately, it works. And if you talk to a lot of big buck killers, not many do not do some sort of baiting. Um, we a lot of times will use feeders as just a good place to put your camera and keep tabs on who's in the area, what buck's in the area, because they'll hit it almost every night, but may not always be daytime. But most of the deer that I've harvested are are usually, if it's in the rut, I may not even be hunting food plot. I may be hunting a ridge um, or, you know, a travel route for him to get there. Um, but we also have microplots that, that don't have feeders on them. Um, a lot of it is just it's where it's pl- where the food plot is placed. Um, you know, if it's placed close to a bedding area, you know, a little micro plot close to a bedding area, I mean, that's, you're more likely to have a big mature buck come out there during daytime than, you know, than you would a big destination plot that's for everybody to see. Um, but yeah, we do, we do run feeders. Um, not, not everywhere, but we do got, we do have some feeders going. You have to in Ohio. If you're not, you're, you're at a disadvantage, unfortunately. Right. And and I think and I think that unfortunately I think baiting in Ohio does take away from habitat work. Um 
because Joe Schmo can go in and throw a feeder up, and he didn't have to do anything habitat-wise to attract deer, and the deer will come to that corn eventually. Um, so I think, you know, it, it wouldn't hurt my feelings if they got rid of baiting in Ohio, but I realize some people on some properties, they, they need it. They, they have to have some sort of bait just to get deer to come to their property. Um, but yeah, I could do a whole podcast on just that, but we won't get too deep into that. <laughs> well, that leads me into another thought I had about, um, Monroe County where your 500 acres is. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. it's not really known as a big buck county in Ohio, but to be honest, I mean, there's a mm-hmm. lot of sleeper counties in the state. But what what is it? Do you think yeah. is that secret sauce? What what's the habitat like, or what's that special thing? Because you're you you're laying down some giants, and you're sharing a lot of pictures of some really nice bucks. What do you think it is about that area that makes it that way? Yeah. Um, well, I'll, I'll say right off the bat. As far as the giant bucks goes, it it was probably better. The property was actually probably better probably 10-plus years ago. Um, I actually think the area got overhunted uh, back then. You could kill a lot more deer back then. The bag limit is now a lot lower. Um, so I'd say deer numbers-wise, at least in our area, I think is lower. Plus, we're surrounded by public land. Um, and I think we – I honestly think we killed too many. I mean, we, we did – Right now, we're we're killing mostly mature bucks. We rarely kill does, partially because we don't see them um, that much. But the number one reason why we're able to kill mature bucks down there is because they're getting age on them. Um, it's a hard place to hunt. Uh, it really is uh, extremely hilly, so trying to get a, a correct wind, uh, you have to be pretty much hunting the tops just to get a right wind. Otherwise, if you're in the bottoms, which is unfortunately where most of our access is, wind just swirls. Um, so these, these bucks, they're able to get age on just because they can't can't be killed by people. Um, so age, like, I mean, we've had plenty. We got plenty of five-year-olds. We've killed, like, an eight-year-old. We we had a, a big buck that he was he was maybe nine. Uh, we've had him for years. So and it just... They're, they're hard to hunt. They're hard to hunt down there. Um, you know, opposed to more ag area, the deer, they're more susceptible to being shot because they're living in a smaller pocket of woods. Um, so it's tough to get some age on sometimes. But that's the biggest thing down there is, is age. Um, I will say for habitat-wise, uh, like I said, we've seen maybe a drop in our deer population and I, it may do with the fact that we have a lot of public land around us, like thousands some acres, and they haven't really done anything habitat related, at least to this this area. So you have a ton of closed canopy um, around us, uh, and that I think that may have hurt some of our population. Our our fawn population is is not great. Our fawn recruitment is not great, according to cameras we've been running we've had an influx of, of bobcats um they're they're all over the place now compared to what they used to be hmm. um so so i i don't even know if i would consider monroe county a sleeper state because i feel like it may have been better 10 plus years ago um but it just got hunted so hard but there's hey there's still big bucks there i, I mean it and and we've become more efficient ourselves on this property on big bucks um than we have in the past but uh but yeah so 
And that's age is the number one secret sauce, if you will, down there, just because, like I said, they're hard, they're hard to shoot. Yeah, and all, all things being equal, that's always going to give you an advantage anytime you can get them to age. I was just curious to right. see what your answer was because growing up in western Pennsylvania and hunting in Ohio, mm-hmm. eastern Ohio, for the last 20 years, I'm always trying to pick everybody's brain because I've hunted everywhere from Guernsey to Carroll to Harrison and yep. uh, further up yep. north also. I've hunted all so those. It's, it's interesting mm-hmm. to hear the different takes from different areas, so I, I appreciate the input on that. Yeah, and, and pick... the other property I hunt. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Finish your thought. I was going to say the other property, I've hunted quite a few counties as well, and I think if you can get above northern, get north of Monroe County, um, you get a, maybe a little less terrain, uh, more rolling hill mixed with a little more ag. I, I, mean, I think that's the sweet spot. Um, yeah. I have a buddy that owns 200 acres in Guernsey, and it's it's prime. Um, I've, I've hunted Tuff County for 20-some years, and it's prime. Um, so you, you get that good mix and that's, that's kind of the sweet spot. Um, yeah, right I agree for sure. Yeah. Now you were talking about, uh, some grains that you're planting in the fall. You, you had mentioned a plant in some early. Do you see the deer mm-hmm. using them? Cause a lot of guys will wait until, you know, September to get their wheat and rye and things like that. And have you, have you seen any advantages right. or disadvantages of that? Um, the only reason why I planted them early this year is just because they would be fighting, they're, they're going to be fighting with the clover, um, that I did not spray. And I thought, well, if I get them out there and get them in, they're probably going to be suppressed by the actively growing, um, you know, clover that's already there. So maybe, uh, you know, maybe get them, get them a little head start. Cause it's going to take them longer. So that's the only reason why I planted them now, um, you know, there was thought of, okay, if I plant them too early, will they mature, will it mature too, you know, too quickly uh, by the time, you know, deer season, by the time winter rolls around. But I I doubt it's going to mature that quickly, and I'm, I'm hoping the deer, you know, eat it eat it down enough. Um, but that's the only reason why I planted, you know, I plant stuff like that early. Um, but, yeah, as far as planting, you know, September when most people do, yeah, that's, you know, or right after they, you know, cut the corn. Yeah, I mean that's that obviously, uh, you know, it works great. But yeah. So Danny, you mentioned your your plots on on the 500 down there on these on these this nice piece you manage. Um, you mentioned some plots will be more beneficial being closer to a bedding area or a thicket or maybe a south facing slope. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess give me a quick rundown of your maybe two or three best food plots, where they're set up, and why they're great. Okay, um, I'd say probably our, I'd say probably the one that produces the most um, is the plot that I told you when we were five years old. We planted like a hundred pine trees up there, and you know, looking at it now, I'd be like man, it'd be nice if we would have just planted that as a food plot, you know, now, um, but now these pines have matured, it's kind of created, it's kind of created an edge. Um, the deer do, the deer, they use the pines. I find a lot of sheds and pines. Um, but it's a, it's basically, it's the hardest food plot to get to, you know, that, that's always a big thing with these mature bucks is the harder it is to get to, that's, that's where they're going to be at usually. 
Um, and this plot, we basically just have it in clover. Uh, we have thrown, we have planted rye up there. It, it's hard to get a tractor even up there. Um, but it, it produces every year. There's always a big buckshot out of it, um, whether it's in bow or gun. Um, and I, I actually don't, I have only shot one big buck out of there. The landowner, that's his, that's his like go-to spot. Um, but, uh, it, it's tucked up real close to some bedding. Um, just, there's a big, a big ridge that runs down off of it that it's extremely thick. Um, it's south facing as well. Um, and then there's another bedding area to the north. So the deer kind of just, they run across it, um, and they, they hit that, that food pot all the time. And they got, we have those pines in there, um, you know, with that added, you know, added cover and they'll, they'll come right down the edge of the pines or they'll come right through the pines, um, to come out to a little food pot that's out there. And we have a, have a blind sitting up there. Um, but yeah, so that, that's our number one. Um, trying to think of another, another good one. Uh, another good one that I've, I shot a, a five-year-old out of, uh, about two years ago. Um, just a little, little micro plot. Uh, that year I had brassica. I did brassica and clover, um, hoping, you know, the clover would come up nice and thick the following spring. Um, but it, it was down in the bottom, um, but we had a select cut right above it, which the select cut was probably about 40 acres, I'd say, um, the whole hillside. And it, it was a south-facing hillside as well. Um, but I was down the bottom, and the wind, the, the hardest, the, the worst thing about this spot was the wind of swirls. Um, and But I'm big on historical uh, trail cam data, and I knew – I knew from years and years running cameras that this plot was always hot from November 8th through no- November 12th. Historically, there's always a big buck um, on this plot uh, that time of year. So, you know, I I hunted hunted there and I shot this mature buck. I got kind of lucky on the wind swirling. He must have came at the perfect time. Um, he, you know, he didn't smell me. But we've we've shot deer out of there. Um, and like I said, historical data shows that they they hammer this this uh, this one plot, and the big mature bucks do all the time. But uh, you know, November eighth through the twelfth is the best for daylight activity. Um, but that was that was close to bedding as well, select cut. Um, so yeah, those are probably the two best. That's that's freaking great, man. I th- a couple things I want to hit there: uh, clovers with brassicas being planted, and then um, mm-hmm. and then history. Just mm-hmm. so, so I mean, you listen to other podcasts or you read a couple of articles, you realize that a buck will possibly do the same thing year after mm-hmm. year in the same time frame. Um, mm-hmm. I'm witnessing that on my small property uh, between October 12th and the 16th. It seems we we normally mm-hmm. get a cold front right then, and I don't hunt my property till even after that, uh, usually at all. But I've missed out right. in the past two years on on daylight walkers during those those that time. Um, are you yeah. do you see the same thing from year to year? Do you see the same thing with that at your property? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I see it. I see it with certain bucks. Like you said, they'll show up the same time every year. It's like clockwork. I can almost name it, and boom, they'll be there. Um, but I, and it's not just the same buck. Like I, what I like to do is. 
if I find if I find a what I think is a good spot, I'll put a trail cam and I will let that thing sit all year long. Um, I maybe go back and check it just to replace batteries. And really, that camera data probably isn't going to help me kill a big buck there that year. But all I need to know is is a mature buck using this trail or this ridge at some point? Is he daylighting at some point? Um, you know, in this certain time frame, and it may not even be him, but it, you know, the following year when I decide to hunt it, it may not even be that buck, but it's, if one mature buck likes a certain area, you better believe even once he's gone, another mature buck is going to use that area. He obviously likes this area for a reason, so future bucks will continue to use that same area, as long as nothing drastic has changed uh, in the landscape. Um, I, one, one of my best spots, I no longer can hunt it, uh, was a ridge and it was historically good first week in November. Um, and I wouldn't even touch it until November 1st. And many times I killed mature buck on the first or second sit that I ever sat just because I knew what time, you know, these mature bucks were going to daylight, you know, on this specific trail. Um, and that's just from historical data. Um, you know, and like you said, you know, there are some bucks that'll show up at the same time, uh, you know, every, you know, every year, but if he's doing it, you better believe in the future that more bucks are going to do it. You know, they're, they're creature of habit, you know, they, if, if they like to do something, good chance more will. So, yeah. Nope. That's, that's a great point. I'm glad you, uh, confirmed that for me. We don't talk about that enough on here and, uh, for whatever reason, if if you're seeing a pattern, you know you have to jump on it. So that's yep. that's a great yep. great point. Uh, the the brassicas planted with clover. Um, why mm-hmm. do you normally do that? I did that a lot this this past weekend uh, for reasons of my own. Why do you normally do that? Um, basically, because if the I see a lot of times if the deer smoke the brassica, they they just chow it down. You'll still get some clover growing up, but, you know, it's immature clover. But I like it to green up the following spring. I mean, clover is one of the first things to, you know, green up in the spring, and it gives them something to eat. And, I, I mean, I've found plenty of sheds, you know, in clover fields, and that's the first thing, you know, that, that started to green up. Um, but always to try to have something. Uh, I, I just hate having just dirt, just dirt laying around, Um you know, we our deer they love the brassicas, uh, but they will sometimes you know eat it too quick, uh, especially if we don't have a big enough plot because we like to do micro plots. Um, it's, it's nice to have that some clover still growing up through, even though it's immature. But yeah, so that's why that's why I like to do that. No, nope, I I did the same thing this year, and uh, I I just love it. I think. Um, and this may sound like a shameless plug for, for Killer Food Plus, but I cannot kill the clover very easily. <laughs> Can you kill your clover? And if you do, what do you use? Because literally, I'll spray it with Roundup uh, twice, and it'll just shrivel up and come back. Yeah, well, it, it's definitely, uh, you know, it's definitely hardy, but yeah, I don't... I, like, I don't like, do you I kill it before fall, or do you just seed into it? Like um, in the fall, or do you just leave it? Uh, sometimes I'll just leave it, but uh, sometimes, you know, I'll kill it. But, yeah, it's got to be a high percentage of, of glyphosate um, to kill okay. it. Okay. Uh, I, and I, I thought about this year when I did not even spray it, I thought about hitting it with just a small percentage just to maybe set it back a little bit. 
Um, but I didn't because it's been so dry here. Uh, I was like, it's going to be set back probably anyways. Um, so, and it's, like I said, it hasn't rained much at all recently. Um, so okay. I'm glad I didn't spray it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm probably not mixing too heavy of a dose and just, uh, setting back everything else, but okay. Right. Well, I want to get into the last segment of the show here. Um, Mm-hmm. Our friend Mark Kenyon has been doing some pretty cool stuff on his podcast. Kind of inspired me to kind of put my spin on a situation for food plots. Um, okay. So I want to give you three hunts throughout the year and, you know, or three times of the season, if you will. And I want to know mm-hmm. where you're hunting on your, your 500 acres what sand and, and what food plot or browse or habitat you're hunting and why. So let's go first two weeks in October. Where are you going to be at? And then uh, next one we'll do uh, the rut early November, and then we'll do late season. So you go ahead and just, you know, where would you go for, for all three of those? I think this is a great idea, and I, I love hearing the answers that people are saying for, for this sort of question. So let's see what you got, Danny. Yeah. Yeah. Well, considering on the 500, I've never killed an early season buck. That, that's not a not, – but now I – Well, I okay, it could be somewhere else, though. Early so, season buck. You know what I mean. Okay, 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 good, good. I was going to say, yeah, 500 is not a good example for that. Um, but <laughs> now my my wife, she's big into hunting, and usually I give her the whole month of October to try to get her a buck. Um, I'm a nice husband like that. But uh, uh, usually we're hunting – Close, close to soybean. I mean, close to beans. If you can plant beans, you know, the first two weeks, you know, there's a lot of times your best chance is trying to catch that buck that's still on a summer pattern, uh, which we all know they like to make a shift, uh, you know, once they shed old, but some will still stay on it. Um, I'm just trying to hunt, you know, somewhere where they're going to be, you know, trying to, trying to get to a bean field or a big destination plot. A lot of times they're not bedded far from the destination plot at that, that point in time. Um, we've killed her first buck was like a 140 class with her compound bow. And I'm like, you're ruined after that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, you're, yeah, you're ruined. Um, but it was right next to it, probably 50 yards from a, from a bean plot, you know, soybean plot. Um, so that's where I'd be first two weeks. Um, even clover would be fine too. You know, clover, clover will be hot as long as you don't have anything else around you that's going to, suck the deer the deer too but um clover be good uh rut i i'm gonna be i'm not i don't kill a ton of them off of food plots in the rut i mean i we've killed we kill that's them on okay, our then, plot. no that's okay i just tell us where you'll be then maybe it could be a transition yeah. somewhere between a and b just explain it if you're right. fine i'm, I'm right. fired up this right. is awesome Fired up. <laughs> oh yeah, this is awesome. awesome. But, um, yeah, but uh, oh, I've I've killed actually majority of the mature bucks. Um, close, pretty much in the bedding. I I'll get real aggressive in the rut. I'll find a ridge um, that I know that I know the bucks will travel all day. I that's when I love to do my all day sits. Um, basically, just a, a crossing, uh, a hard to get to crossing. Uh, that I have found through historical data with the trail cameras. Um, and I'll get up in there, you know, I'll try to use the best axis I can that time of year. You know, 
you, you worry about bumping deer, but it, it happens. Um, and a lot of times you may only get a few sits out of a spot like that because you've alerted enough deer that, you've been, that you're hunting there. But I'll get up into some thick stuff right on the edge of bedding or maybe right in the bedding, and I'll sit, um, you know, I'll sit there, maybe sit all day. And, I mean, I've seen so many big bucks in the noon to 1 o'clock hour, um, you know, just cruising, looking for does. Um, but I, I killed probably the majority of my mature bucks right on these thick, you know, thick ridges, um, just cruising. You know, that's that's when they're, day, they're you know, they're daylight and more. Um, I, you know, I wouldn't dare do that in the early season because the big buck, those big bucks may not even be daylighting at that time, even if they are using it. Um, so right, that, that's where I'm at. I'm in the thick of things, getting aggressive. Uh, late season, get as close to corn or winter rye or winter, winter wheat that you can get to. You know, those deer, they crave corn in the wintertime because it's getting cold. Uh, corn's got a ton of carbohydrates. Uh, you know, just like, just like people, we say, you know, how, how do you diet? How do you lose weight? Well, you got to cut the carbs. So, you know, carbs, they're going to, it's going to put on the fat and corn's both carbs. So they crave it. I mean, deer will eat corn all year long, which is not always good for them. Um, but definitely in the wintertime, they're craving corn. So if you got like a pick cornfield or pick bean field, perfect. If not, winter, you know, winter rye, winter wheat is great. So I'm, I'm set up close to that. Um, you know, as much as I can, um, late season, especially, you know, more snow, the better with that. Um, you got to tough it out. Uh, it helps if you got a nice, nice little cozy blind to sit in. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's where I'm at late season for sure. Yeah. You okay. Mentioned, you mentioned, uh, having a nice blind to sit in. I just finally caught up to that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I saw that night. That's a nice bank. Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, some of the advantages. Have Have you hunted out of many of them, and you know, has that helped your scent and any other advantages you can think of? Yeah, 100. Uh, the The scent for me is the biggest thing. I mean, I, I love hunting out of stand, uh, but I do on this this 500 acres. I hunt with my father, landowner, and they're they're older. I'm not not knocking them for. I'm not saying they're getting sissy on me, but the blinds are a plus. Um, you know, I mean, I love sitting out of them too, especially when it's cold. Uh, but I just put up, I put up a, a cheaper blind that I kind of makeshift myself in this one plot that is down in the bottom. Um, that I, it was my second favorite plot. I said uh, I put it there because the wind swirls, and I mean I siliconed and foamed every little crease I could find. I have rubber gaskets around the windows, similar to the bank blind that you have. Um, I, I did whatever I could to try to prevent as much scent coming out of the blind. And it got to the point where I was like, I hope I can breathe in this thing. <laughs> like, hey, if I got to wear a, an, you know, an oxygen mask, let's do it. But no, you know, it's, it's impossible to make it completely scent proof. But as much as you can cut down, the better. Um, and I don't know if that blind you have, does it have a vent in it? Do you know? It, it does, know and they, they also... Uh, Most do. Yeah, and they, they also sell like a carbon uh, insert to put over it. I don't know how much perfect. that helps. But um, I yep, saw our friend, our friend Jake Elinger has a, has a banks also, and he built like a uh, PVC tube and took it 
you know, five, six feet above the blind to, to take the scent even right. higher. So I thought that was pretty interesting yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I've seen that before. In my particular situation, it would not help because I'm down the bottom. So my scent, you know, I'm still trying to keep my scent, you know, from drifting up top. But, but yeah, that that would work. Or I would definitely use something to plug that vent, plug it up. Now, I will say the blind may get a little foggy. You know, you may get, you know, it may get, I may have to wipe the windows down um, because of this, you know, your body heat and things and you breathing. Um, you will get condensation on the windows when you don't have it breathe, when you don't have, you know, the vent open. Um, but, you know, hey, whatever, you know, I I wipe the windows here and there. But, yeah, I I cover the vent up. Um, you know, I, I have a vent in mine, too, to let it breathe. Uh, but I I keep it covered. Um, but, yeah, as far as scent goes, that the spot that I have this at, um, ever since I killed that mature buck there two years ago, I've hunted it since, and I have been winded at some point in time every time I've hunted it since then. It, it's just a matter of time where you got enough deer coming in that they're going to they're gonna smell you at this particular spot. But once I put this up just last year, I sold the most deer I've ever seen out of out of the spot, and I can't even think of a time that we actually got winded out of that blind. And I mean, I had deer all over me, you know, 15 yards, you know, for like an hour, uh, and none of them smelled me while I was in that blind. So that that was a big uh, eye-opening experience for me. It was like, wow, okay, I can actually hunt this spot correctly now. So yeah, yeah, the blind big on scent, big on scent. Yeah, that's. Uh... That's pretty interesting stuff. I I put up a half-white cheapo blind a couple of years back, and mm-hmm. I feel like you're in a porta potty and uh, <laughs> it echoes a lot. And if my kids drop an M&M, I feel like my neighbor can hear it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it, it's all right. I, I'm, I'm making it better, but I'm going to go banks next. And I think that the scent thing is definitely most important. I know I when I walked Jake Elinger's farm, he said he had a – a Mr. Buddy heater in his bank's blind, and oh, yeah. it wouldn't stay lit, and he couldn't figure it out. Mm. And it's, eventually, he figured out that it could not draw enough oxygen because the blind right. was so tight that the heater wouldn't even run. I mean, right. yep. you talk about a scent tight blind, that that's that something. Yep. Yeah, I told you I was afraid I couldn't breathe in that thing. There, I'm like, man, am I getting lightheaded being this? But <laughs> I yeah. lived. I lived. So it's all good. <laughs> yeah. I tell you what, though, in the summertime, those suckers get hot. You're peeling off clothes, though, in those things. Yep. Peeling off clothes. You're sitting there taking scent wipe showers the whole time, you know? <laughs> yep. Yeah. Well, Danny, we, we've had you for at least an hour here. I, I want to be respectful of your time, and I think, uh, you know, it was an awesome chat. Glad you came on. Uh, we definitely yeah. like to, to wrap this up with a pretty exciting question, maybe the most exciting question you've ever heard. Um, oh, boy. I want to know what your favorite tree is. Habitat, hunting, in general, picture-taking, whatever it could be. What tree do you walk through the woods and see and you're like, damn, I love that tree? Uh, or plant. Oh, man. What tree do you like to plant? Just give me something. Uh I mean, I mean, I gotta go oak tree. I mean, I gotta go any, you know, white oak or any of the oaks. Um, as boring as that may sound, but 
Yeah, I got to go oak tree just because of, you know, the acorns. Deer love the acorns, that's for sure. And have you actually been successful early season uh, hunting an oak flat or some oak trees? Uh, no, not not really. Basically just because I don't have great access um, to oak flats. You know, I would love to have a spot where, you know, I could slip into an oak flat in the morning, but I, I just don't have the access. Uh, I would bump too many deer pretty much, you know, on all the properties I've ever hunted if I tried that. But, but no, that, but other than that, you know, all year long, um, you know, once they're dropped, even, even into winter, you know, they'll still be digging them up and stuff. So that, that's what keeps them around. That's for sure. Yeah, no, you're right. Even if you can't hunt them, it's still nice to have them on your property and, and be a food source for sure. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Well, cool, man. Is there anything that we missed that you want to hit before we wrap this up? Uh, I don't know. I, I hope I didn't uh, bore too many listeners or anything. I hope I didn't uh, babble too much or or act like I I know <laughs> know too much. Oh, no. Trust me, I I don't, but, uh, but yeah, I think we're good. I mean, yeah, I could, I'm sure with you guys, I could talk about this stuff all night. Um, but, oh, yeah. but yeah, yeah, I think we're good. Well, coming up here pretty soon, we're going to get back into the game plan episodes. Um, so if you are successful, uh, don't be surprised yeah, yeah. if one of us texts you and, uh, you know, I'll see you on yeah. the line. So, yeah. Well, since you just said that, I am guaranteed not to shoot one this year, for sure. <laughs> yeah. For some for some reason, I'm not too worried about you. I just for some reason I, I got some I got some confidence in you. So. Okay, I'm glad you do, bud. I'm glad you do. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. Well, Danny, if anybody else wants to, you know, catch up with you online, see what you're up to, or you know, maybe ask you a question sometime, any place they can find you. Um, I, you know, I have a Facebook, uh, Instagram. I, I do have a YouTube channel. It's extremely amateur footage. Um, some, some of it's probably not even worth watching, but over the years we've tried to film our hunts and, and stuff like that. Um, it's called, uh, Warner Hunt Ohio. Like I said, it's extremely amateur footage. Um, I basically just have it just so I can look back and see the collection of, you know, videos basically for my family to watch, but, you can watch some of that if, if you if you'd like, but yeah, that's basically it. Just your typical social networking platforms. Great man. Well, I want to thank you very much for coming on. I learned a few things for sure this episode, so uh, you hope to hear from you very soon. And uh, I wish you luck this fall. Obviously. Yeah, yeah. You too, guys. I'm hoping to see uh, see some nice deer on the ground. Yes, sir. Appreciate your time, Danny. Yep. Thank you, guys. Have a All good right, night. Yeah, Take care. Thank you so much, Danny, for coming on. I had a great chat with you and Brian. That was awesome. Thanks again. And the listeners, I say it all the time, thank you very much for coming back and listening once again. We love all your reviews on iTunes. I'm sending out a pile of decals this week. We've had a bunch more reviews come up. Thank you, guys. It just takes a quick second from the app. Just hit write a review, hit the five-star button and write a review and uh, put your full name on there so I know who to look up on Facebook or Instagram or Google and, and uh, get a hold of you. And then I end up sending the decals out once I get a hold of you. So 
Uh, if you have left a good review and have not heard from me, uh, shoot us an email or uh, hit us up on Facebook or Instagram. There's, a, there's an email submission button on the website. Whatever works, I want to make sure you get your free detail. Lots of great reviews, guys. Thanks so much for coming on there and doing that. I want to thank the partners for our show here. We have Packer Max Colt Packers, which we have a discount code for you guys. You mentioned the podcast. The Killer Food Plots, also have a discount code for you guys, the listeners. We have the Habitat Hook, Hunt Wise, Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, Stony Creek Realty, and last but not least, Sound Barrier Hunting. We have a discount for you guys who want to quiet down all your stands and blinds. Uh, we'll be back with a pretty killer episode coming up. We got one on mock scrapes coming up, and then we're talking to somebody who you guys have probably heard of before coming up again. We're fired up. Deer season's around the corner. Get your plots in. Pray for rain. We'll see y'all guys soon. We'll become better habitat. Man.